Well, good morning again, friends. I want to welcome uh, you to First Methodist Mansfield, those who are here at our 930 Cornerstone service, as well as those who are at our cafe service this morning. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here and uh, excited to share with you. Uh, we're going to do something uh, a little different this morning. If you're our first-time guest, I want you to know we don't do this every week. Uh, but I'm going to share some news with you and what I would like you to do with, uh, with great energy and excitement is I want you to say, Hallelujah. Okay? Do you think you can do that? Say, okay? And this is for you upstairs as well, okay? So, uh, here, here is the news. It's 63 degrees outside. Hallelujah. Now, I just got to tell you, I think 815 was louder than you, okay? Um, so, I'm going to give you an, another chance, okay? It's 63 degrees outside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, we've been in this series, Where is God? 63 degrees outside. That's where God is. Uh, I'm going to sit down. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Uh, over the course of these last uh, three weeks, we're wrapping up this series today. Uh, we have been looking at some of the simple convictions, but deep truths of the Christian faith, uh, which we believe are a response to that question, where is God? A question that we've said, it's not uh, simply a question that some people ask in faith. We believe it's a question that people all find themselves asking over the course of life. Uh, in the midst of tragedy, uh, when we find ourselves, when life is, is turned upside down, uh, we, we often ask that question. Whether we believe in God or not, we, people, people find themselves asking the question, where is, where is God? And so over these weeks, we've, we've talked about a few things. First, that God is here. Uh, our conviction that we are not alone, we live in God's world. We reject the notion, what I would say is the common notion, uh, that God is somehow absent from our world or God is indifferent to the suffering and the brokenness of our world. We believe that God is here and God is working always for our good. We believe that God is there. And the way we defined there uh, was the place uh, where hopelessness crashes into helplessness. When we realize, when we find ourselves losing all hope and realize that we don't have the capacity to help ourselves out of whatever mess our life has become. The intersection of those two things we understand to be the cross. The place where Jesus went on behalf of each and every one of us. We've said that Jesus came here so that he could go there to the cross. So that when we find ourselves there at the intersection of hopelessness and helplessness, we would know that God is there too. We talked about that God is within, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we believe that Jesus gives his life to us. And he does that by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which takes up residence within us. And while that's mysterious and it's often difficult for us to understand, uh, it is at the same time uh, the power and the strength of the Christian life. Uh, we believe that it's the Holy Spirit that both begins and sustains the work of God in our life, through our life, all the days of our life. God is within. And if you've been paying attention to the video that we've been sharing before each message, you know what the next word is, or at least you should. Uh, today we're talking about God is beyond. Now, each week of this series, uh, we've started by looking at Luke chapter 24 and a specific encounter that happens there between two travelers on the road to Emmaus and this stranger who they do not recognize. And the reason we've looked at this particular passage is because it is the moment in Luke's gospel when everyone is asking the question, where is Jesus? Uh, they have just found the tomb of Jesus to be empty, but no one has seen him yet. And so everyone is asking this question, 
where is Jesus? These two travelers spend the entire day with Jesus, walk seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They share an evening meal with him. And it's when Jesus breaks the bread that they recognize who he is. And they recognize that the answer to that question has been with them throughout that entire day. Uh, that, that the one who everyone had been looking for had actually been with them all along. Now, I'm not going to read the entire story to you again, but I want to point out to you just one verse uh, from, that, uh, from that entire story. It's verse 28. It says this, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. Now, keep in mind that this is before uh, the meal where Jesus breaks the bread and they recognize that this is, this is Jesus there with them. Uh, they reached the village of Emmaus, which was the destination for the travelers who had been walking with Jesus. And, and what Luke tells us is that Jesus was prepared at this moment just to keep on heading down the road. But they asked Jesus to stay with them and he agrees to do so. That's when they share the meal. He, uh, he spends that evening with them. But Luke leaves this detail in the story that as they came to Emmaus, Jesus was ready to continue heading down the road. Now, where was Jesus going to go? Well, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us that part of the story, but he leaves in this detail that as they came to Emmaus, Jesus was prepared to move down the road, to continue his journey on the path that they had been on all day long. And when you zoom out from this singular verse of Scripture to, to the entirety of Luke's gospel, or even further, you zoom out and you look at all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see in this singular verse of Scripture is a theme that we find throughout the life of Jesus, that Jesus is always ready to continue moving down the road. And all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the life of Jesus, he is constantly offering to others this invitation, a specific invitation. It is not, hey, would you like to spend the afternoon together? It isn't, hey, would you you like to come and and learn from me? Hey, I'm interested in getting to know you a little bit better. What Jesus says over and over and over again, the invitation that he offers is, come and follow me. Starts all the way back in the beginning. When he's walking on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew out fishing and he says, come and follow me. He comes to James and John and he says the same thing, come and follow me. And all throughout the story, this is the invitation that Jesus offers. Some say no, but many say yes. They make the decision to leave behind whatever their life had been to follow Jesus. And what we easily forget is when they make the decision, when they say yes to following Jesus, they have no idea where he's going. (laughs) And none of the disciples knew where Jesus was going to take them. But they left everything behind and said yes to his invitation to come and follow him. So this, this image of Jesus being ready to head on down the road, to go a little bit farther, this is where Jesus always is. In, in, in his life, he is, he is out front. Jesus is out front and he is leading the way. 
In Mark chapter 10, again, thinking about that the, they never knew where Jesus was, was heading. Mark chapter 10, Jesus has already predicted two times that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed. In Mark chapter 10, it says this, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished. Those who followed were afraid. And then for the third time, he predicted what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. They're on their way. And Jesus is out front. Jesus is always leading the way and always sharing this word of invitation. Come and follow me. Uh, one of the most life-changing experiences I ever had was participating in a study um, that was written by, um, it was a book by Henry Blackaby. Uh, the book is entitled Experiencing God, and it was a study that was written in, in relationship to the book. And the first time I did that was when I was in high school. Uh, and then I led it uh, for some other college students when I was in college. Uh, it was significant both times. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit why when I, was, uh, when I went through it the first time. The second time, there was a really cute brunette who was in the group. Um, and I later asked her to be my wife and she said yes. So that's what was life-changing about the second time uh, that I went through that. But this is how Blackaby describes how we experience God in our life and how we know what God's will is for our life. He walks, uh, walks through several steps of that journey. And it starts, he says, with recognizing that God is always at work around you. In other words, you start with the idea that God is here. God is here and God is working. God is always working for our good. He's at work all around us all the time. The second thing is to, to come to a recognition that God is inviting us into a personal relationship with him. Constantly, through, through the work of His grace and His Spirit, those around us, God's inviting us into relationship with God. And as we respond to that invitation and we grow in this relationship, as we invest in that relationship, as we invest in the community that is the church and the reading of Scripture and our life of prayer, God invites us to something further than just a relationship with God. God invites us to be involved in this work that God is doing in the world. God opens our eyes to what, what God is doing and he invites us to be a part of this work that he is doing all around us in our world and in our lives. And this, Blackaby says, this always leads us to a crisis of belief that requires faith and requires action. You recognize that God's at work. You, you respond to this relationship in which God is pursuing with you. You begin to grow and, and your eyes are open to what God is doing and the invitation is given. Would you join me? And that is where the crisis of belief occurs. A crisis of belief that requires faith and it requires action. Here's, here's how he describes that. When God invites you to join him in his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you, one you will quickly realize you cannot do on your own. If God doesn't help you, you will fail. This is the crisis of belief where you must decide whether to believe God for what he wants to do through you. And then, and then um, he finishes in this way. The way you respond at this turning point will determine whether you become involved with God in something only he can do or whether you will continue to go your own way and miss what God has purposed for your life. I want you to think about that phrase, turning point. This is the turning point. 
This is the place where you make a decision. And that decision leads you either to a place where you become involved with God and what God is doing, or you make the decision to simply continue on your own way and miss what God has purposed for your life. So if we were to boil it down to just a singular question, here's what the crisis of belief is all about. It's asking ourselves this question, am I willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus would lead me to go? Now I'm 41 years old, which to some of you sounds old, and to others, you think I'm a baby, okay? It's just, it's, you know, I'm right there in the middle, 41 years old. 25 years ago, 25 years ago was the first time that I said yes to that question. And I don't know what my life would be today had I not said yes 25 years ago. I mean, I don't even, I don't even have the ability to fathom what life would be today because in some ways, over the course of the last 25 years, every decision I've made in my life has in some ways been connected to that initial yes. And so how do you, how do you rewind the tape and, and, and go back through all the decisions to think about you know, what, what, what your life might be today? I, I, don't, I don't have any way of doing that. But, but, but here's, here's what's also true. While there was an initial yes, while in, in my life there, there was a crisis of belief, David, are you, do you really, are you in on this? You really believe this? Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he would lead you to go? Yes, I am. That's what I said 25 years ago. Over the course of those 25 years, it's a question I've had to continue to ask myself every single day. And I'll be honest, I don't know about you, but there are days when in asking that question, I can't help but think, I don't know. Because you realize it's harder than you thought it was gonna be, right? You realize that the, that the path is a little bit more rocky than you expected it to be. That when Jesus said narrow road, he really meant really narrow road. Are you still willing to follow me wherever I would lead you to go? It's a question that we ask, we have to ask and wrestle with every single day. And I wonder, I wonder how you have wrestled with that question in your life. If at any point in your life, whether it was last week, 10 years ago or 40 years ago, whenever uh, it, it may have happened in your life when you first said yes, how have you wrestled with that question in the days that have passed since? Are you still willing to follow Jesus wherever he would lead you to go? And how have you responded to that question? And as you look at your life today and where you are in your life today, how has your response to that question defined where you are in your life today? What has happened as a result of that yes? And maybe what has happened as a result of no? So we ask this question, where is God? And we've said over and over again 
that this is a brave question to ask. But, 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 but hear this, the, the foundation of the Christian life, it, it isn't belief. We often think of it as that way, that belief is the foundation of the Christian life. But the foundation of the Christian life is faith. And, and since that word's abstract, maybe you don't know what that means, here's how you might think of faith. Faith is obedience that is grounded in confidence that I can trust God with my life. And I just want you to think about the relationship among those three words, obedience, confidence, and trust. Obedience, confidence, and trust. That's what faith is. It's obedience, it's action, and it's based in our confidence that we can trust God with our lives. Wherever God would lead us, the God who is beyond The Jesus who is always several steps down the road, who is asking us again to take another step. What about you? How have you wrestled with that question in your life? Where is God? Well, we believe God is here. We believe that God is there. We believe that God is within. We believe that God is beyond. And what that means is that there are moments in our life when we ask the question, where is God? And in response, God has a question for us. God says, I'm right here. Where are you? Where are you? Because I'm just a few steps down the road. And I'm inviting you to to, to come, come with me, to continue to follow me. Where am I? I'm right here. But where, where are you? Are you still with me on this? Are you still sold out to this? Are you still willing to follow wherever I would lead you to go? And if you've said yes to Jesus at any point in your life, if you've heard that invitation, come and follow me, that is a question that you must continue to wrestle with every single day of your life. But it is also a question that we wrestle with together. We wrestle with that question together as a church. Every church does that. Every church has to engage in a reflection on that question. Every church has to challenge itself as a body of believers together to ask ourselves, are we still sold out? Are we still willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus would call us to go? Are we still, do we still have the passion that we once had? Do we still have the drive, the energy that was once a part of our life? Do we still desire above all things to follow Jesus? To follow him wherever he would lead us to go? There's never a moment in the life of a church where the church shouldn't be asking that question, but at the same time, there are moments in the life of the church where that question takes on even more significance. Here's one of the reasons why, this is what my friend Paul says, the gravitational pull of church is always away from advancement towards preservation. And that's not because we're the church, that's because we're human beings. You and your life, me and my life, we always tend towards preservation. I just want to make sure that everything stays the same. Don't want anything to get messed up. No more, I don't don't want life to get rocky. But the God who is beyond is always inviting us to advance. And so in certain seasons in the life of a church, that, that, that question takes on even more significance when we bump up against our capacity We find ourselves comfortable and we've got to ask, are we still willing? Are we still willing together 
to follow Jesus wherever, wherever he would go. You might think of it like this, if you've ever seen a child playing in the ocean, you know, maybe with one of those boards that they lay on and they're, and they're trying to catch the wave. And you see them, you, you, they catch the wave and, and, and you see that excitement in, the, in their eyes as they, as they ride that wave. But, but you know what eventually is gonna happen, right? The wave is gonna finish its journey. And, and, and what that child, that young boy or girl is gonna have to do is, is at, the, at that point when, when, the, when they've ridden the wave all the way to its end, they gotta turn around and they gotta swim against the current into the unknown if they wanna catch another wave. And in certain seasons in the life of the church, the church has to make a decision together. Do we wanna go out into the unknown and catch another wave and follow Jesus wherever he would call us to go? So here's a few questions for you. Are you willing to sweat and get wet to be out so that when a first-time guest arrives, what they see is a face and not a closed door. It's taken longer than we had hoped, but very soon we're gonna be breaking ground across the street, 200 new parking spots which we desperately need. And let me just tell you in advance what I'm gonna ask of you. If this is your home, if you're sold out, if this is your church, I'm gonna ask you to park across the street so that there are spaces here right right next to our sanctuary for someone who's coming for the first time. Would you be willing to do that? Is that still your heart? Do you know that for at least the last four decades, this church has led this community in the way this community cares for one another? Do you know that this community as it is today, the heart that it has for reaching those who find themselves in need, do you know that that wouldn't be the story of this community without the First United Methodist Church of Mansfield? Do you know that's your story? Well, here's the question, do you still desire to lead in that way? Do you still desire to be that kind of church? Are you willing to make room for others? Are you willing to be as generous as those who have come before you, who helped create the future that maybe they never saw, but we together have the chance to enjoy? Does your heart still break for those who do not know Jesus? Does your heart still break for those who do not know Jesus? Do you remember the story of the son who wandered off, the story that Jesus tells? The son who wandered off and, and squandered his life in reckless living. That moment in the story when the son comes home and the father leaps off the porch and he goes to embrace his son and welcomes him home. It's a beautiful moment in the story, but we could easily forget that 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 father had been on that porch every single day. And every single day he had been praying that that would be the day that he would see his son coming over that horizon, coming home. 
And day after day after day after day after day, that prayer went unfulfilled. Until one day, one day, he saw his son. And with all the joy you could ever imagine in a father's heart, he runs out to embrace him. I'll never forget sitting in a room with a bunch of men on a men's retreat and a father talking about his own son who was wandering in his life. And in tears, he said, who is going to save my son? Do you still have that heart that breaks for God's prodigal sons and prodigal daughters? A church has to ask the question, just as we all do, are we still willing to follow Jesus wherever Jesus would call us to go? And close with this, in John chapter six, most of John chapter six is this extensive teaching from Jesus. And what's clear once we get to verse 60 is that this has been some tough stuff because Jesus finishes, um, uh, it says in verse 60 that the response uh, after Jesus finishes this teaching is, is many who have heard it uh, say, well, this, is, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And Jesus, aware of the grumbling, he, he asks this question, have I offended you? And then we get to verse 66 and it says, from that time forward, many of his disciples turned back and stopped following him. And in the next verse, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them this question, do you want to leave me too? And it's the apostle Peter who says this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And the last question I would ask you is this. What would happen in your life? What might happen in your family? What would happen in your church if you were willing to respond as Peter does here in John chapter 6? If your prayer today would be the same thing that Peter said, which is, Lord, I don't know where you're taking me but I know I have nowhere else to go. I know that there is no one else, there is nothing else in the world that can do in my life what you have done for me. And there is no one else, there is nothing else in this world in which my future is secure than the life that I have found in you. I don't know where, I don't know where this road goes. I just know that I have nowhere else to go. And so again today, Jesus, I want to say yes. Whatever it takes, wherever you're leading me, I want to say yes. And I want you to know as your pastor, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. And my prayer is that your heart would say yes. But I don't get to answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question in your life and in the life that we share together. Where is God? Well, sometimes the answer is God's response. Where are you? Will you pray with me? Loving God, we are grateful that you are here. And we trust in that truth 
Despite what we may experience all around us, we believe that you are here and you are working and we thank you, Lord, that in your love and grace you were willing to go there to the cross to be with us in our own helplessness and in those moments when we find ourselves losing hope. We are grateful, Lord, for the power that lives within us, the spirit that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that you would make us more aware of that spirit. And Lord, we pray for faith, the obedience, the confidence, the trust that would hear you calling us from just down the road, the God who is beyond and responding with our own yes again. We don't know where you're taking us, but we know that we have nowhere else to go but on this journey with you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.